It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's been the biggest political story for weeks. And weeks. And weeks. I'm here in the Queen Elizabeth Centre in Westminster where the new Tory leader is going to be announced. You can probably hear a bit of hubbub in the back. Really, all of the great and the good of politics are here today. But away from the hall, where a new Prime Minister was being announced, Westminster has been oddly quiet. I've been here on College Green, just opposite Parliament, as election results are announced and new prime ministers are appointed. And normally, on the days when political history is being made, Westminster becomes a bit of a circus. I remember when there was a hung parliament and the circus went on for two days. There were so many news channels gathered here from all over the world that there was no space anywhere on the green and they were setting up broadcast points around the block. But now, as a new Prime Minister is being announced, it's oddly muted. There's a helicopter above us filming the scene, a few broadcast marquees set up, journalists milling around, the odd MP and the odd protester. Out! 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 There's not much buzz. Maybe it's because the big announcement today was a bit of a foregone conclusion. The total number of valid votes given to each candidate was as follows. Rishi Sunak, 60,399. Liz Truss, 81,326. Therefore, I give notice that Liz Truss is elected as the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. Well, thank you. So what do you make of the result? Well, it is what it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> is that a good answer? <laughs> well, I'm not surprised. I think it was a waste of everyone's time, to be completely honest with you. For many, this contest has gone on too long and it's felt like political fiddling while the country's burning. It wouldn't matter too much to me which one had won it, but I just hope that she gets to grips with the energy crisis in the country. The government have been zombified, ignored it. So 
what do we know about the new Prime Minister and how she'll address some of the urgent challenges we face? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the new Prime Minister. It's Liz Truss. My name is Charlotte Ivers. I'm Times Radio's political correspondent and I'm also a columnist at The Sunday Times. So Charlotte, you've just been in the hall. What was it like in there as the announcement came through? Inside, it felt relatively sedate, to be honest, because, of course, we basically knew what was going to happen. We knew Liz Truss was going to win. I was speaking to some Rishi Sunak supporting MPs and ministers beforehand, and they were just saying, well, you know, this is where we are now, isn't it? We've got to fall behind and unify people on Liz's team didn't even seem to have many nerves. And then when the announcement was made, there was no great uproarious cheer or anything. It just felt a bit paint by numbers. But that is what you get when it's been such a one-sided race, I suppose. It was was surprising. On College Green, normally on a day like this, there'd be such a buzz and there'd be huge tension and excitement. And there was not even a murmur when the result came through. It just felt like it was all a bit of a foregone conclusion. It also felt a bit like that in the room. There were moments in Liz Truss's speech where she almost had to pause for a moment. Boris, you got Brexit done. She obviously was expecting some clapping. You crushed Jeremy Corbyn. You rolled out the vaccine and you stood up to Vladimir Putin. You were admired from Kiev to Carlisle. And the MPs would give her a standing ovation, but it just wasn't hugely energetic. And it's bizarre, I suppose, because we are at such a pivotal point for the country. Maybe it is that. Maybe the fact that everyone knows this is going to be an immensely difficult few months has somewhat dampened the celebratory tone of the day. And Charlotte, although the actual winner wasn't really a surprise, the result was, wasn't it? I mean, it's much closer than people had thought it would be. It was, rather. There had been talk that Liz Truss could be getting some sort of landslide, could be getting kind of 70% of the vote, but it was pretty close in the end. She was on 81,326 votes. Rishi Sunak behind on 60,399. So not a huge amount in it, but speaking to Alex Chalk, formerly the Solicitor General afterwards, one of Rishi Sunak's most vociferous and main backers. I asked him, because this is closer, does that mean that actually maybe Liz Truss should be a bit more conciliatory and shift towards Rishi Sunak's economic position? And he kind of said, no, actually, she has won. She's won fairly decisively. It wasn't quite as much as we expected, but that is a mandate. All of that being said, it does sort of look like Liz Truss might be shifting on economics anyway, so it may become quite Mm. easy for Sunak backers to back her budget, back her fiscal events, as she's getting us to call it, and that may mean that actually the party can unify rather quicker. There's a sense here, and we've we've been talking to people who've just gathered, really, just members of the public, there's a real sense that this whole contest has taken too long, there are urgent problems that they feel haven't been addressed, and it's been a, a zombie government... Do you think, after what's been a long contest, but also a really bitter one, do you think they are ready to come together and just govern? What I will say is that I've heard a lot of MPs saying something rather similar to that. They do think the contest has been too long and they would like to see things change in the future. Will that happen? I don't know, because they do have quite short memories and the circumstances may be wildly different next time we have one of these contests. But in terms of whether the Conservative Party comes together now... It did become quite bitter and quite divisive. It really did. My instinct is that because Liz Truss does look like she's about to put more support into 
people on low incomes and their ability to pay their energy bills. That will give people like Rishi Sunak, who have said that her policies as they currently stand would be immoral and would leave people destitute and would not give enough help, will be given a ladder to climb down there and they will be able to grit their teeth and vote for her plan because there will be more help that is provided. That could, of course, be something that changes depending on what she announces. We don't know what she's going to announce yet, but my sense is that most MPs do want to see the party come together and that trust will give them enough of the ladder such that they can unite behind her for now at least. And Charlotte, what's the timetable? What, what happens next? Boris Johnson will visit the Queen in Balmoral. He will formally resign as Prime Minister. And then, of course, in will come Liz Truss and she will be offered the opportunity to form a government by the Queen. Then she will hot-foot it back down to Downing Street. She will make a speech on the steps of Downing Street. And then from there, it is her job to choose her cabinet and to bring them all in. So what usually happens, and I've heard that it will be the same this time, is we will see the cabinet all traipse in one by one into Downing Street, not knowing what job they've got, and come out the other side, all be shouted at by, I suspect, me and people like me and asked about what their plans are. They probably won't even know what their plans are in many cases at that stage because, of course, everything has been kept quite tight under wraps, although I do know that there are some people in top jobs, Kwasi Kwarteng, for example, expected to be Chancellor, who has been speaking extensively with Liz Truss about what their plans are. And when do we find out? When is the great plan unveiled? Well, the great plan is a fiscal event. Now, it's not a budget because the Office for Budget Responsibility would be asked to give their full assessment of that. And that's not what Liz Truss and her team want. She's calling it a fiscal event, which essentially means a finance bill that is not a budget or a spending review. So it's, it's just a technicality, really. It slightly shifts the nature of what has to be done for it. And that will be, we expect, on the 21st of September. So they've got a couple of weeks to bed into their departments. And also, of course, the civil service have been working up options for the new leader and for the new chancellor as to what it is that they want to do. So that will give them a bit of time to sift through those and decide which ones look appealing. So we'll find out more about the big economic plan in the next fortnight. More immediately, on Tuesday, we expect to hear who will be in Liz Truss's cabinet after she goes to Balmoral to meet the Queen and become Prime Minister. As Westminster marks the end of one Prime Minister, what do we know about the next? Well, there's one man we all turn to when we want to know what's really happening behind the scenes. Hi, I'm Tim Shipman. I'm the chief political commentator of The Sunday Times. And Tim, you've been through this so many times, but introduce us to the new prime minister. Tell us a bit about Liz Truss. Liz Truss is quite an interesting character. She is now at the apex of the British establishment, but I think part of the reason she's got there And certainly the way she sees herself is that she's a bit of an outsider. I got to where I am today through hard work and aspiration. I didn't come from a traditional conservative background. I grew up in Paisley and I went to comprehensive school in Leeds. She lived in Leeds, she lived in Scotland, she's lived in the home counties, she represents a seat in Norfolk. She's very comfortable in London, but she's also comfortable sort of talking to people in no-nonsense language in kind of red wall seats. She's someone who I think sees herself as someone who's battled against the establishment. That's partly how she's managed to win this leadership election, because she managed to paint Rishi Sunak as the sort of ultimate establishment insider. And 
She's done a lot of different jobs in Cabinet. Despite this Outsider Act, she's the longest-serving continuous Cabinet Minister. She's done some of those jobs quite well and some of them didn't go so well and she's pretty stubborn, she's pretty bloody-minded. I think some of my friends might say I'm a bit relentless. <laughs> That's not a flaw. Well, it is sometimes. <laughs> and that also is why she's managed to make it to the top. She's seen what failure looks like. She didn't like it very much. And that's what spurred her on to get where she is today. And what sort of a prime minister do you think she'll be? Well, I think she's one of the most ideological people who's got that job since Margaret Thatcher. There are things that she believes, though they're not interestingly things she believed 20 or 30 years ago. She's come to those beliefs partly through experience and partly through needing to adopt a resonant persona for the Conservative Party grassroots to get herself elected. But for the last few years, she's been staking out the ground as a sort of neo-Thatcherite figure. But the world she finds herself in is much more complex than that. Um, there's problems coming at her from every corner. And practically speaking, she's going to have to do things that aren't necessarily part of that ideology. Do we have a sense of who will make up this new government? Yeah. Nailed on as Chancellor of the Exchequer is Kwasi Kwarteng, who shares her Thatcherite sort of economic views. And the importance of putting him in there, who's a very, very old friend of hers. They've been very close at various times. He was one of the people who was phoning up other ministers, asking them to support Liz Trust months and months before Boris Johnson was ousted from Downing Street. And what Liz Trust wants there is to have someone who's like-minded next door. Boris Johnson suffered because he and Rishi Sunak increasingly were in different places when Sunak was Chancellor of the Exchequer. Mm. Um, you saw the same under Theresa May, where Philip Hammond and, and her did not see the world the same way. And she She's determined that, you you know, if you're going to achieve anything, you need to have the person with the purse strings holding the same points of view. Interestingly, it's not just about personal relations. It's partly ideology. And you'll see the ideology in some of the other parts of the Treasury. We understand John Redwood is probably going to get a Treasury job. He hasn't been in government for nearly 30 years. He really is the ultimate Thatcherite. Jacob Rees-Mogg, as I understand it, will have some kind of economic input as well. He's coming from the same place, former hedge fund manager. So... I think the Treasury is going to look very, very different from the Sunak Treasury, where there are a lot of people who went along with Treasury orthodoxy. But it's also about having people she trusts. There'll be a female chief whip, first time that's ever happened. Um, while, you know, Liz Truss is sort of gutsy and ballsy, and in some ways, a bit like Margaret Thatcher was accused of being, some of her more aggressive attributes are seen to be quite masculine rather than feminine. Um, She's certainly more comfortable in male company than female company. I think most people would agree. She, nonetheless, has been the, uh, the Minister for Women and Equalities on and off over the years. And she's seen the damage from bullying and from sexual harassment. And she wants to ensure that they have a party that stamps down on that from the top. I think two of the other cabinet posts, Ian Duncan Smith and Suella Braverman, who we expect to be Home Secretary, both are fully paid up 24 carat members of the European Research Group, the ERG, that, you know, what was mm. accused of being a party within a party during the Brexit talks, and frankly, holding Liz Trust to a very tough line uh, on Europe and the Northern Ireland Protocol. And then I think what most people will be looking out for in my profession is how many of those sort of Sunak allies make it into the cabinet. Boris Johnson, when he came in, did certainly try to bring Jeremy Hunt into the cabinet. I assume this means there is no room for Rishi Sunak. Sunak's view, as I understand it, is that he can't serve in a government where he doesn't agree with the central policy. He found that increasingly uncomfortable under Boris Johnson. And he thinks that what Liz Truss wants to do on the economy will fuel inflation and is irresponsible 
and unconservative. So at the best, I think Liz Truss will offer him a job he doesn't want. And at worst, I think Sunak would turn it down. So I suspect what will happen is that there'll be some soundings on both sides and it will be considered better not to offer him anything at all. Coming up, what can we expect from Prime Minister Liz Truss? That's after a quick word from a colleague. I'm David Collins. I'm the Northern Editor of the Sunday Times, and I'm based in Manchester, where my job is to bring you the biggest, most insightful stories from outside of London and keep you informed about the country, not just the capital. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And Tim, whenever we get a new prime minister, there's always sort of a hefty load waiting in the in-tray for them to deal with. It feels like this is going to be more stark than any other prime minister coming in. Yeah, I think if you look back at previous prime ministers, Boris Johnson had an intractable problem over Brexit that he needed to deal with when he got in. David Cameron had a massive financial problem We'd had the crash of 2008. He was coming in to try and deal with the aftermath of that. Margaret Thatcher came in in 1979 to growing industrial strife, soaring inflation. And Liz Truss has got all of those on her plate. I think how she will try to deal with it is to compartmentalise it into the big issues that really matter and those that are peripheral. Clearly, the cost of living is the central one, but the Northern Ireland Protocol isn't going away. And you've got increasingly industrial unrest and strikes in the the public sector. All these things are linked, of course. Hmm. And I think, in the words of Sir Linton Crosby, who has advised lots of prime ministers in the past, get the barnacles off the boat, stop worrying about the little stuff and focus on the big stuff. And what she wants to do is, A, deal with the economic problem which she sees as sort of twofold, one of which is 
dealing with the immediate cost of living. And then her big thing is that she wants to get back to a growth economy and boost growth. Now, Trust believes that that involves tax cuts, so you'll see some of those. Sunak believes that's inflationary, as do a lot of economists. Trust's view is if you do some things like massively cutting VAT, that can stop the inflation from drifting out of control. So the suite of policy that she comes up with on that will have to be carefully looked at from an economic point of view to see what effect it's going to have. But I think you'll see her very much focusing on that and then on trying to deliver some of the manifesto that Boris Johnson ran on last time. Boris Johnson said to all those voters who voted Tory for the first time in 2019, I understand you're lending us your votes. You want to see material change Mm. by the time you get to vote again. And in a lot of places, partly because of COVID and partly because of sort of drift and distraction in central government, not a lot of things have been built. Not a lot of roads have been built. Not a lot of bridges have been built. Not a lot of hospitals have been built. Not a lot of high streets have been transformed. She will want to try and do some stuff that allows her to go into an election as late as the far end of 2024 that allows her to make an argument that things have got better for those people. And right now, I think she's conscious that there's not a lot of delivery in those areas. So part of her selling point in the leadership contest was that she would be a sort of Boris who delivers, if you will. You know, he was a great man for big vision, but he was not a man for delivering it. And I think Liz Truss will say, in every job I've done, I've I've tried to deliver. Um, sometimes that's been more successful than others. But she's certainly someone who puts noses out of joints because she likes to get stuff done and she doesn't stand on ceremony too much. So it'd be interesting to see whether she's able to achieve any of that and mm-hmm. quite how much aggro and grief there is in Whitehall along the way when she goes about it in the way that she plans to. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because sort of... While there hasn't been much delivery on levelling up so far, she's got two and a half years where she'll have far less money to do any of this than they had at the start of Boris Johnson's term. Do we have a sense of how her economics, or certainly what she's told us about them, will play out in places like the Red Wall? You know, for example, saying you won't necessarily help people with rising bills, but you will cut taxes. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that what she has to do in the next months will be very different from some of the things she claimed certainly early in the leadership election. Mm. She was very resistant to saying she would bung extra money directly to households. I think that position has evolved as the leadership election's gone on. And this would be a matter for the Chancellor in the budget or fiscal event or whatever people like to call it. The, well, what that would be well, a fiscal event is a budget. So okay. anyway, in a fiscal event... The the Chancellor would address the issue of household support. She's seen that bills going up to £3,800 and possibly a lot further than that early next year. You know, the people who literally can't pay this, the small businesses who literally won't be able to stay open if bills go up that much. So while there has to be a long-term plan and a boost to growth, there also has to be massive handouts. And don't forget, the public has got used to this. Rishi Sunak's furlough scheme at the start of the pandemic has got people used to the idea that government is there as a safety net to pick up the pieces. And going back to that roll call of problems, the one problem she doesn't have, the one problem that Margaret Thatcher did have, uh, the one problem that David Cameron to a degree did have, was the spectre of unemployment. And at the moment, that furlough scheme has kept people in jobs and the number of people in work remains buoyantly high relative to the state of the economy. And Trust will want to keep it that way. So she wants to support people in work and she'll need to send them some money. But there are huge questions about how much this costs. At the start of the campaign, even, there was a belief that there was a decent amount of money in the Treasury coffers, what they call the headroom, built into the budget that would Mm. allow a new prime minister to spend somewhere in the region of 30 to 50 billion pounds dealing with this stuff. Well, 
That has now shrunk, as I understand it, to the low end of that spectrum. It's about 30 billion. And the tax cuts that Liz Truss has proposed, which are essentially reversing the planned rise in corporation tax, reversing uh, Rishi Sunak's national insurance rise and ditching some of the green levies from the, the cost of energy, that costs 30 billion. So that money's gone if she sticks to her, her tax pledges and she's going to have to find something fairly large, probably of about the same order, in order to assist people who can't pay their bills. Now, Liz Truss believes that you can hove off some of that pandemic debt and whatever she's about to spend into some kind of separate debt fund that you pay down at a slower rate over the centuries like we did when we were paying for the world wars. You know, I think it's true we only finished paying for the Napoleonic Wars a couple of decades ago. <laughs> That's all very well, but if the debt markets take a view that one debt is very similar to another, you're going to see your interest rates rising as a government. And if your interest rates rise as a government, the amount you have to pay to service the debt rises and it eats up all that money again. Obviously, the economy and the cost of living crisis will be the most urgent problem she faces. Do we know where she stands on other big issues, though, that she will also have to address quite soon, I suppose, like like the Northern Ireland Protocol? Yeah, I mean, I think in most areas, she will take a pretty tough line. On Ukraine, you won't see a cigarette paper between her and Boris Johnson. That will be total support. I think they've already talked about her wanting to make her first foreign trip to Kiev. On Public sector strikes, she's been pushing for legislation to change the law to make it more difficult for people to strike. And on Northern Ireland, I think she's been as tough, if not tougher, than Boris Johnson on this uh, for the last few months. She's a strong advocate of the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill that they're pushing through, which would effectively allow the government to ignore parts of it. The big question is whether she does anything more immediate than that. Certainly between now and the party conference at the start of October, She's got a brief window of Parliament where she can do something on the economy. Then she goes to conference and then she'll come back in the autumn. There'll be an emergency budget before conference. So that's going to be the vast priority. I'd be amazed if she picked a fight with the EU in the next sort of three or four weeks. That may be something that happens in the autumn. Mm. I think she'll take a pretty tough line. But what I suspect is that she won't initially pick a huge fight. And Tim, do we have a sense... I suppose of her temperament, what sort of a leader do you think she'll be? I think she's quite an impulsive person. That's what I hear from officials. She wanted to go to Russia when she was Foreign Secretary. Now, I'm told that the head of the Russia desk at the Foreign Office and the head of security, who worried about the implications of going over there, both advised her not to go, and she insisted on going. So they said to her, well, make sure that you mug up, treat it like an A-level exam. You're going off to see Putin's foreign minister, Lavrov, who has been making a monkey of foreign ministers around the world for two decades. And off she went. We believe fundamentally in the self-determination of the Ukrainian people. I'm honestly disappointed that our conversation turned out like the mute with the deaf. We appear to be listening, but we're not saying anything. Our detailed explanations fell on unprepared ground. She promptly said the wrong thing about two of the Russian provinces, which had been part of Russia for a long time, said they were part of Ukraine. It was Lavrov deliberately trying to trap her, and she fell into the trap. So to those officials, that was proof that she'd had good advice and not followed it. But Liz Truss rather thought that was a success. She was shown going toe-to-toe with the toughest man in international diplomacy. 
She wore a fur hat, she came back, she got the pictures she wanted and she was able to talk a tough game against Russia and from her point of view that was a success. I'm told when she got back she barely exchanged two words with those officials that advised her not to go. Part of the success of Liz Truss and to a degree of Boris Johnson was being unorthodox, saying things that other people wouldn't say, putting a bit of stick about, not just accepting at face value the official advice you're given, not doing everything the way it's always been done. And that can be a huge strength in politicians. And done right, it can be quite invigorating for a lot of people in Whitehall. Uh, Done badly, it creates problems for yourself. Do you think she'll feel safe in the role of leader? I mean, not entirely. The looming issue for Liz Truss is still Boris Johnson because the membership never wanted to see the back of Boris Johnson. And don't forget, even a majority of his MPs didn't actually vote against him. Now, a large and worrying sum from his point of view did so. But he was ousted by ministerial resignations and people not wanting to serve under him. I think it would be looked on as bananas by the public if Boris Johnson were to make a comeback after all of that. But that doesn't mean it will be looked on as bananas by Conservative MPs, who in their souls, a lot of them believe Boris Johnson got them elected in 2019. They believe that he's their best election-winning asset since Margaret Thatcher. And if you look at the raw numbers, they're not wholly wrong. He was no good at governing, but he was pretty good at campaigning. He's going to go off, he's going to earn vast sums of money selling a book and making speeches. But every time Boris Johnson writes a newspaper column, or every time Boris Johnson makes a speech, there'll be somebody there reading it and recording it and wondering what it means. And does it mean he supports Liz Truss or doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Does it mean he disagrees with this or that? And there are people who are already muttering about putting letters of no confidence in against Liz Truss, and there would be nothing to stop Boris Johnson running again if that were the case. Now, I'm not saying there's anything like the numbers that you would need. I'm not saying those people have even put those letters in. It's completely bananas at one level. But the mere fact that before Boris Johnson had even left number 10, there were people talking about reinstalling him, means that Liz Truss has a pretty short honeymoon. She has, Mm. you know, basically three weeks to sort out the economy, do an emergency budget, install a cabinet, and go to party conference with a coherent message and attempt to look unified and like she knows what she's doing. She's then going to face, between the autumn and the spring, one of the worst economic fates that anyone's had since the the late 70s. And she's going to do it against a backdrop of people who are muttering behind their hands about whether they ought to bring the other fella back. Let's be frank, all the indications historically are that Liz Truss is only going to be in power for a couple of years. This would be a Conservative government seeking a fifth term in office. That's never been done before, though some of those terms have been quite short. This would be a government trying to go to the voter with economic problems wherever you look, and one that has, at least under Boris Johnson, collapsed into a a pile of sleaze. There are people inside the Conservative Party who say that there might be another half a dozen by-elections with people who've misbehaved uh, sexually or socially before the year is out. There's one, I, I quoted someone in the newspaper a couple of months back who said there are 20 unexploded bombs waiting to go off. Now, if that theme continues as well, I think it's been very difficult for Liz Truss to turn this around. If she can improve the economy, if she can look like she can deliver things more successfully than Boris Johnson, and if she can discombobulate Keir Starmer at the dispatch box, and by being sort of good at politics and slightly sort of awkward to attack as a woman and as a, a sort of non-posh central London woman, you can see a world in which she can make Labour's life quite difficult. But if, if they just drown in another six months of sleazy stories, 
if inflation runs rampant, then, you know, this is going to be a very, very long way back for Liz Truss and this government. But as we said right at the beginning, you know, Liz Truss is a gutsy and determined woman. And if you'd spoken to most people two years ago, they would have laughed in your face if you'd said Liz Truss was going to be prime minister now. And she got herself there through a lot of nous and a lot of guts and a lot of determination. And I wouldn't write her off. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Times Radio political correspondent and Sunday Times columnist, Charlotte Ivers, and The Sunday Times chief political commentator, Tim Shipman. You can hear Charlotte as part of the extensive coverage on Times Radio all day on the new Prime Minister, the new Cabinet, and the challenges they face. And Tim will be back writing in the Sunday Times, explaining what's really been happening behind the scenes. The producers today were Sam Chantarasak, Taryn Siegel and Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by John Scott. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.